Welcome, Kings, to the Sunday Night Tilt, where we offer our fresh emotional take on what just happened and walk through the slate for week two. I have our Sportfolio Kings NFL opening bell weekly newsletter on the screens that we send out every Sunday morning. We talk a little bit about broader market positioning, highlight some of the biggest line movers and what's driving some of those movements. We'll give out one of our favorite trading ideas for this week. We refocused on one of our favorite off-season trades, which was Raiders alt wins under seven and a half. We'll focus on one of our favorite trades of the day in that piece, highlighting some of our circuit picks here, Chargers, Giants, Eagles, Texans, Chiefs. In our second entry, we also had the Bears and the Commanders in their HL. So pretty successful week one. Our survivor plays made it through it. We chose the Ravens. About 33% of the survivor pool out as of week one, which feels so good, especially vis-a-vis last year when more than half of the pool was still alive through week eight, week nine, as those heavy favorites just kept winning. So it feels so good to get this. And also, Judah, specifically you calling out That's- your boy, the nine. So that saved us. That was huge. The fact that we just didn't even flirt with a lot of these names that went down. So our top three picks that we were really thinking about was Ravens, Broncos, and then late there, Zach Bruin, Eagles. So we made it through on to the next week. And also starting off very strong from that Circa Millions perspective, four and one and four and one. So a strong start there. I was actually lamenting a little bit offline about how so many of our handicaps this week were right down the middle. I really wish that we would have been able to fully capitalize on that intelligence and go five and oh this week rather than just a four and one. But nonetheless, still very strong. And the Eagles were winning by double digits for most of the game, end up not covering by only a point. And it was something that we saw the writing on the wall. One of the things that you even mentioned in our week one preview, which was we're always looking for opportunities to leverage alt lines and try to capitalize on some mispricings in the market and on the volatility that we know is rampant in this league. But one of the places that you did not want to leverage into volatility was the Eagles. And that was because of the Lions' propensity to come back during garbage time. That's their MO. And they get that classic backdoor cover. We're never really com- competitive in the game. At the very beginning, they took that 7-0 lead. And that's one of the things, as you see at the bottom of the screen, some of the things I want to talk about as well is certainly please join us. I know we haven't really advertised it very much at all, but what we're going to be doing most Sundays this season is live betting and streaming ourselves live betting, coming up with ideas and putting our ideas into action and putting it into practice throughout the week and seeing how we change our theses as the game continues to play out. And again, making bets live. Um, so you can see how we're managing our bankrolls and managing some of those positions that we put on pregame. And we tested that today and it was extremely 
successful. So you can see all the trades that we made moving across the bottom of the screen there. And for those on the pod, we started off the week you know, leveraging to Texans and Giants. We bet their spreads, we bet their money lines. We started leaning into Falcons, we leaned into Browns. We bet the Eagles minus two and a half, which turned out to be extremely important to do. When they went down seven zip to the Lions, tried to take advantage of that, got their money line around minus 130, started betting the Colts, once they started losing, we bet the Giants plus 17. We bet the Chargers. We had exposure to the Chiefs. We bet the Jags at plus nine and a half, plus 10 and a half. So many winning trades. Pretty much the only time that we went awry was when you jumped off stream. And it was just <laughs> me solo trying to catch a falling knife with the Packers. Bet the three and a half and the four thinking that there was a pass that went through Christian Watson's hands. that was like a perfect dime by Aaron Rodgers, a couple other decent drives that they had put together that just didn't materialize into points. And then knowing you're still going against Kirk Cousins and the Packers secondary has been nothing but raved about all off season, thinking that maybe that starts to show itself a little bit and you still have Aaron Rodgers on your side, regardless of the lack of talent at right wide receiver. But nonetheless, that was a losing trade. So boom, that was three nasty losses there. So it took off a little bit of the positive PL that we did over the course of that live stream, but that live stream netted plus nine units. So Take successful it. first attempt. Definitely looking forward to doing it again next week. I thoroughly enjoyed the stream. You can see as you talk out your own process as opposed to actually just like betting it. Uh, yeah, because betters always have this revisionist history of themselves and how they thought about a game or how they were thinking as something was transpiring. Oh, I knew that was going to happen. Oh, I knew they were going to come back. And how much money did you make? Oh, I didn't know. And it's all about like, how much money did you make? Did you actually put that opinion into action? Did you, did you express that view in a trade? And that's what I think what makes this stream so cool is we're making snap decisions. We're having a plan pre-game, seeing how things play out. And then when those things start to play out, then actually having the, you know, the moxie to actually execute it. It can yeah. be very difficult when you say, oh, I think if the Colts go down by 10, I'm going to hammer the Colts. But then you see the culture down like 20 to three. And you're like, oh, maybe they're not playing. That's the important thing. It's a very fine line between coming in with a plan and also then adjusting to the information that's coming in. It was just like, you're going to be totally overwhelmed if you're just like, no idea what you're betting for the week. But if you can have a range and you let the games play out and that guide your betting. Yeah, I bet the Houston alternate spread minus five with the very intention of grabbing the other side at some point. And then it's like a matter of timing and you got to adapt to the information. I did an okay job and do as well the jumps could. It's a very fine line and I think that's mastering the craft. You need to balance being patient and not doing something too quickly. I think me with the Packers, again, I didn't even really get that much value off the closing line, which was right. Packers plus one, I think it ended, or maybe even plus two. So I got the three and a half and the four. So it's past the key number, great. But if this, if the whole game plan doesn't materialize as expected, that's not that meaningful of extra value that you have yeah. there. Again, yeah. we're getting Colts plus 10, Jags plus 10, Panthers plus 10. That's a meaningful difference. That says this game script can be completely different and you can still win your bet. And I think what's gonna be really interesting too is, Judith, if you do this, is go back 
and look at and see how you are talking about how that Texas Colts game was yeah. playing out. Because you were articulating, oh, maybe I should take the five and a half, or maybe I should wait till seven and a half, or maybe 10 and yeah. a half, or, or now it's plus 500. Ah, like maybe I shouldn't. And, but definitely applaud you in the fact that you were very patient. You didn't try to catch that falling knife and then waited for it to rebound. Show a little bit of life first. Yeah. Before then capturing that that positive PM. Yeah. yeah. Again, we'll be doing that again next week. If anyone has any questions or anyone wants to jump on, Dan was on live with us. Arjun was on there for a little bit as well, chatting with us. So encourage anyone to jump on and get involved in the discussion. Trade right along with us. Give us some good ideas. Okay, so let's quickly go through some of the games. Just first impressions. What were some of your takeaways from this week that you think maybe went according to plan, didn't go according to plan? And I know this is Sunday night, and that's the whole point of this. Is we really haven't really had a sufficient amount of time to really reflect on what has happened. We haven't dived into the numbers. There's really not a lot of data to go off yet. So with a grain of salt, with an asterisk, but what are some of those takeaways. So here, there are a bunch of angles for certain teams where the mean or average range of outcome I thought would go a certain way. For instance, the Falcons. Right. I think at the end of the day, they're probably like a five or six main team. But in my head, there was an angle of, okay, Arthur Smith is a really good play designer. Mark Mariota mm -hmm. combined with Arthur Smith can produce some kind of results. And I don't know if the Falcons are going to win seven games or eight games, but they're going to be competitive. And I think this game said more about the Falcons than it did the Saints. And maybe kudos to the Saints for coming back. That like when Jameis needs to throw, maybe the Saints can win. But the Falcons are not going to be the pushover team that everyone thought they were. I also think the, the Niners, again, similar idea about mean range outcomes. If you ask me before the season, I'd say that the Niners are probably a playoff team. But there is a range of outcome, and again, I'm not going to overreact and say this is the definitive outlook, but there's a real range of outcomes that Trey Lance is not that good, and that he's slow to develop, and it's the same reason why we talked off Survivor, which is saying that like the Niners are, the at this point in the season, be the worst time, because we really don't know what Trey Lance is going to be, and there is a po genuine possibility that he's not a great NFL quarterback. Just say it, that he possibly sucks. He sucks. He could be. <laughs> I have no idea. He's shown nothing. So far, outside Nothing. of preseason, he's shown no flash. There's, there's two things working in his favor. Everyone loves Kyle Shanahan, and everyone loves getting good fantasy running quarterback. What bothers me about Trey Lance, first of all, I'm not so sold on Shanahan, but he's not a good runner. He's fast, but he's not a good runner. He's big, so that doesn't make you a good runner. This was a miserable weather game. So a lot of weird variables but at that, play. But it didn't look like Lance was very comfortable up there. But the, the key point is to hone in that when you're viewing something, you've got to view kind of the distribution and you've got to view tails and you've got to be able to play into certain angles and recognize when those are happening. I mentioned on the stream, like the Bears, right in the back of my mind as I was going through was like, Lance might not be able to score again. And who's to say that Fields can't put together one more drive and we're gonna win this game 14 10. Yeah. We ended up taking the Bears plus seven in Turka. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think we actually did learn a lot. I think sometimes we maybe would chat with one another and say, how valuable are these preseason previews that we're doing? Like we're spending a lot of time on it. But I thought actually they, it put us in such a great place because I feel like I keep referring back to something that we talked about or we said or an observation that we made. And we're yeah. Kind of key visuals that ties back 
to why we did do something or why we didn't do something, specifically this week, that has already paid dividends. Yeah, it's certainly going to be true in week one where I think the market really is meaningless. If you have a conviction on a team, the market's not going to be catching up to it yet. And you've got a long time to develop that thesis. It's certainly true in week one, but I think it's always going to be true. But just like the idea, the fundamental idea that you have about a team developed over the course of months and months is probably going to be both better and also less prone to your biases of whatever happened recently, whatever thing you read and like what you're in the thick of the season, then you can evaluate change from a better perspective from actually understanding what you said initially. My main takeaway so far from this set of games is first halves and second halves. We don't want to overreact to a lot of these teams. One of the main reasons why is because we saw first half duds by a lot of teams that then put themselves in holes and then they dug themselves out of that hole and just started slow. It's week one. And maybe you just need to just accept that for what it was and maybe evaluate some of these teams a little bit more so off on their second halves. And if that's the case, the Texans actually didn't look that good. They didn't do anything. That's why I just started getting more and more nervous. Jesus, this is all falling apart. <laughs> yeah, well, I saw, meaning to me, it was, I was looking at the drive and they were down 23. And the Colts were down 23. And I said, this is it. They start to score and they move the ball. It's okay. The Texans kind of get into a little bit of a panic mode. And that's exactly what happened. You know, just, I've seen this game play out so many times. But yeah. but even just this week was a great reminder, not even the randomness of what can happen from pregame to the actual game being played. Right, where it's like, oh, it's so unexpected that the Niners beat the Bears. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just saying, like, that Ed McPherson, the steadiest of kickers other than Justin Tucker, is going to miss an extra point and then a 27-yard field goal. And there's just so much built-in variance. Going into, in the first half or second half discrepancy of performance, same thing with the Saints. Saints started off super slow, looked real bad, down 16 to 7, maybe even deeper. I think even a deeper hole than that. Because we live traded, got Saints plus three and a half, plus six, got all the way up to plus 13 and a half. And at that point in time, had already gotten a sufficient amount of Saints exposure. And it was like, all right, I've had my fill. Like, I don't have any confidence that they're going to be able to come back. They haven't shown the ability to do anything. That's why I think Arjun was even in the chat saying, like, Jameis can't possibly be this bad, can he? And yeah. in the second and a half, they started to put it together and started to demonstrate and showcase a little bit more of what we thought they were more capable of doing. So Saints yeah. come raging back. Falcons didn't really do much in the second half. They were outscored 20 to 10. Bears looked crappy in the first half, looked miserable. Again, the Niners didn't look good at all either. But at least the Bears showed a little bit of life there then in the second half. Same thing with Jacks and Commanders. Commanders were wiping the floor with them the first half, and then Jags stormed back, started really showing a lot of life. And that's one of the reasons why we leveraged into Jags plus nine and a half, plus 10 and a half, even took their money line at plus 650. Browns, Panthers, all Browns in the first half. Panthers show some life in the second half. This was like an A plus week for trading football games. Yeah, there was so much kind of volatility in the game that if you wanted to buy the dip on a team, you were pretty much rewarded this yeah. week, unless it was the Patriots. <laughs> yeah.
Yeah, or at, at some point you had the opportunity and like you could have gotten both sides of plus money multiple yes. occasions. In some instances at huge numbers, right? Like the Jaguars and the Giants, or I guess if not the Cardinals also, they got trounced. I barely even watched Chiefs Cardinals. One, because I didn't think there was going to be anything meaningful to take away from this game, really, no matter what happened from it. That's yeah. what I implied in, in the opening, is I see some people pounding the table on the Chiefs now say, knew the Chiefs didn't need Tyreek Hill. Exactly. This, That's what you're referring to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying like this, but there's, but there's tons of people out there who think the Chiefs don't need Tyreek Hill and that it's compl- it's immaterial to you, the forward yeah. movement of their offense. And I'm not saying, and I never implied that it's going to be this huge obstacle. Patrick Mahomes and the Andy Reid relationship, as you've talked about, is by far the most important variable. And that's still there. First, understanding, being able to factor and level what really matters. It's like those two are always going to be the most important thing, as you're highlighting. The second thing is the Chiefs kind of played the expectation. Okay, I don't care if it was 44, whether it was 29, 13, or 44, 21. You asked me before the slate what my highest conviction, who I thought was most likely to win. I said the Chiefs. I bet I bet everything Chiefs. This was not unexpected. It was not a above overexpected performance where it's like, okay, I'm ready to be like, okay, time to move the Chiefs up. No, like this is built in. Nothing changed. Yeah, so you wouldn't upgrade the Chiefs this week. Yeah. They're not any better than you thought that they were. Exactly. The fact that the final score says 44-21 is totally meaningless to me. Like, you need to see some, like, the Falcon will outperform expectations. That is a team that, like, you have to immediately look at them and say, okay, they're not a dumpster fire. At least not right now. As long as things stay stable. One of the games that didn't have volatility, which is the Packers and Vikings as well, again, dug myself a grave with the Packers. And the Packers downside scenario of what we thought could happen is what happened yeah. today. Which, by the uh, way, happened last year, week one, too. Yeah, but I think that was still under different circumstances. I don't, I, this is the feeling I had. Just like, I'm staying off no matter what happens. Yes, you were. There are just, like, way too many weird variables going on. Yeah. And also, by the way, like, the Giants didn't show anything particularly great there either, even when they won. And that was another game of tail two halves. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Really didn't show anything the first half. It was just classic Giants, classic Daniel Jones. I hate having to watch the Giants. Yeah. I have an interest yeah. in the game. And it's just so painful. It's not even worth yeah. the money. <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, I hear. I think it was all, I don't even know if it was the analytic, the sound decision for Brian Dable to go for two, but the parallel between Brian Dable and what Joe Judge was. And uh, what that sent the Giants fans, I thought, was perfect. Yeah, what I don't like, though, is what you were telling me about how they were trying to use Kadarius Tony. Tony, yeah. That was a disaster. They just did not give him any snaps, even when one of the Robinson went down. But like, Kadarius Tony's clearly the best receiver. I'm, I'm not exactly sure why they're not giving him any run. Instead, Ricky James got a bunch of targets. Instead, Ricky James. There's another thing that I was thinking about with the Giants, which is something we've talked about which when people talk about analytics in a vacuum and like going for fourth down as if it's just like some mathematical formula to plug in. And I was thinking about the Giants going for two and I realized, wait a second, these guys actually know how to design plays. It's not Jason Garrett running a two-point conversion play and they designed the, uh, something clearly learned from the Chiefs to like get the ball to Barkley in space and it worked wonderfully. It's like, it's not just that they're going for it, it's that like actually they're dialing up the right plays. 
when they're doing for it. And it's not just, okay, pass, it checks the box, 2.3% win probability added. Yeah, I like that. That's a great observation. I think a lot of games played out this week along the lines of how we were positioning a lot around these teams from a longer term kind of season win total perspective as well. So we're heavy into Titans under. We talked about how the Giants were likely being priced just because you had a team like the Dolphins and there was a bunch of uncertainty, but they aired on the side of optimism. There's a bunch of uncertainty with the Giants and they aired on the side of pessimism. And while I agree, I don't think the necessarily the Giants showed me a lot in this game. It was more or less, maybe there's gonna be a little bit more creative play calling. It's gonna be a little bit more aggressive play calling, but there's still some of the same kind of boneheads on this team. It's just, you can almost count on in your handicap, Daniel Jones will be in a position to move the Giants meaningfully forward and he will self-implode and he will have at least one sack fumble. Like, yeah. Anything else that you want to touch on from this past week? Steelers, Bengals, that was a crazy one, kind of going back and forth. We didn't have any exposure to this game, but I would say that this was one that was a little bit surprising to how maybe we kind of forecasted it. Joe Burrow throwing four picks. T Higgins went down, so that's meaningful. Yeah, uh, concussion, totally back, but it's still playing the game without him. But the Steelers defense playing admirably and exploiting weakness when it was available. Although TJ Watt did get hurt, which is big. Yeah. And maybe what we can do from this is the narrative around the Steelers has now been reinforced. Yeah. And now people are really going to grab onto it. Yeah. If you think that's true, and we'll see what the prices say, extreme sell. Extreme sell. This is an outlier game. And I think their offense showed that they've got a long way to go if they want to be successful. But they could not get any offense going until overtime. Nothing. It's not like the Bengals are Bengals aren't a bad defense by any stretch, but they're not good. Mm -hmm. They're totally average. If the market's going to elevate this, saying, okay, the Steelers are still going to be the Steelers, and they're going to get banking on five turnovers a game. I don't think so. Although the one thing that asterisk we always have about the Bengals that we always need to continue to take into consideration as much as a, is, is enamored as we want to be with the talent on the field and Joe Burrow and the potential offensive explosiveness, there's still Zach Taylor and he's the weak link that can bring it all down. All right, let's go to next week. Give our first impressions here. Very early, week two, Vikings at Eagles. Eagles three, plus 100. I feel like the Vikings Packers is something I want to take a little bit more close look at. Specifically to see, do I see anything meaningful from the way the offense, decision-making, play calling, that there was a material distinction with the new head coach? From what I'm reading, it seems to imply that is the case, but I'd like to see it for myself. Yeah. But if that is the case, then Vikings does look initially attractive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there's almost a built-in expectation of the Eagles having a good defense. They made a bunch of moves. George David, or Johnson. I, I'd be selling that, especially if we're seeing some kind of schematic changes in Minnesota. Titans at Bills. Bills, a nine and a half. Having that 10 days rest. I'm just surprised that the market has really, or maybe they've upgraded the Bills a lot. But what was the line for the Monday night football game Titans-Bills last year? 
Chargers Titans won. Oh, that was like a field goal. You must say max a field goal. Regardless of how the market feels about it, how do you feel about this? Because you clearly think the Bills are the best team in the league, and I don't think you saw anything in that game to suggest might be wrong. Yeah, I don't know if they're uh, the best team in the league. Yeah. You don't think that, who's the best team in the league? I think I will have a better answer by week six, which of the Chargers, Chiefs, or Bills are the best team in the league. Chargers did nothing today to me to show that they were. No, no. Uh, I think the Chargers. Their defense is going to take time, though. And that's what I think the key element is. The offense is going to be what the offense is going to be. And I think the defense will last the season. Goes along, get a lot stronger. As they get more comfortable in Staley's system with the personnel. They didn't lose this game. So it almost gets forgotten about. But some questionable fourth down carrot didn't go their way. And again, it gets swept under the rug because they didn't lose. Lose, yeah. But they're a two point away from this being a lot more interesting. They like really had the game in control and just got very conservative, which is was part of the handicap. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And that might not be something that's changing. Yeah. I would say at this point in time, the Chargers look like the 2021 Chargers. Like the same thing. Same short decision making, same play calling. With better defense. With a little bit of better defense, they're better players on the field and they didn't get absolutely shredded on the ground, sure, but they didn't necessarily get shredded on the sacked, field. They sacked our car five times. But that we also know that the Raiders and the Raiders are the absolute, worst off the line. It's hard to place. I think that's more with. Raiders. More. We were talking about. We think that the Raiders are one of the worst teams in the NFL. They played head to head with the Chargers. I agree. I agree. I, I'm not upgrading. I'm certainly not upgrading the Chargers after that game. Are you upgrading the Raiders? Um, nothing that we knew. Devontae Adams and Derek Carr was going to be their offense. Yeah, and nothing really changes there. I don't know. You fix your offensive line issues. Maybe. But again, this played into a kind of broader range of outcomes towards the kind of mean percentile. All right, Bears at Packers. Eight. Obviously, the Bears have to be being upgraded by the market. And the Packers yeah. certainly have to be being downgraded. Yeah. Time um, to buy the dip on the Packers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the Packers and Bills seem like very teasable lines today. So we talked about Eagles, Vikings at three. Bills, Titans at nine and a half. Packers, Bears at eight. Do you think any of these lines are going to move? And do you think we should bet any of these right now? I could see the line moving from three to two and a half on the Eagles. But Eagles, Vikings. Yeah. And it's, so, it's juiced so much right now that it's, that's. Oh, I didn't even see that. An alternative. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to, that's probably going to make it better two and a half. Yeah. I think if Packers moves to seven, that's viable. That might even be contest playable. That could be a, an alt line special there. Absolutely. Yeah. Just like Packers offense gets right, Bears offense can't score. Huge potential for a blowout there. Yep. In Lambeau, again, as you yeah. mentioned, on Sunday Night Football. Yeah, that's that. I'm sniffing a 13 and a half. Knowles at Raiders. I like the Cardinals a lot here. Oh, yeah. For sure. This is the other thing I actually wanted to say. It's about now's also a fine time to look at futures again. The NFC West is wide open based on week one. And I've got a good long-term view on the Cardinals. I don't think today meant anything. You knew the Chiefs, no. the Chiefs were going to steamroll them when the Cardinals had none of their defensive players and are still missing Hopkins. Like, I think it's a good spot to buy NFC West, but I like this at three and a half for all the reasons we discussed this offseason. And I think the Cardinals are 
a pretty good team and certainly a capable offense. Yeah. Do you think the three and a half is viable now? Does this move down to three? People are bullish on the Raiders. That's true. I think they see. I think they see. There wasn't anything to dissuade them from that this week. Certainly, the results are not dissuading you. Like they would be going in the opposite direction. But we'll see. It can depend on injuries for the Cardinals. I think. Falcons at Rams plus Uh, eleven. I have a feeling I'm gonna like the Falcons team total. I'm gonna. I'm not ready to jump off the Rams offense in that train just yet. But I'm Mm -hmm. ready to. I'm ready to buy a Falcons offense if they're still being priced as a bottom bottom tier one. This is why I think we we did so well in week one because so many of our preseason theses started to play out even here in week one, which is one of the reasons why I'm not downgrading the Rams at all. The Rams play generally in line with the variability that I assigned to the Rams. Also with the Falcons, especially in the second half, what I'd be cautious of, and one of the reasons I want to dive a little bit more into that game as well, is they didn't really do much in the second half especially in the fourth quarter and just let the saints come roaring back which i think also reflects on coaching a lot it's like something you you don't see the best teams give up let down you know it's coming the falcons are good at falcons as opposed to just we're keeping our foot on the gas and we're going yeah we're just gonna keep the scoring points and i wouldn't be surprised if this line moves a little closer to 10. I would be surprised by that. I, I would so. say, uh, yeah, especially based off what you've said that I saw some of those more preseason lines around that two touchdown. I wouldn't be surprised if it starts to kind of trickle its way closer to that. Like you have this knee jerk reaction from this, unless there's something underneath, again, with the elbow thing they were not hearing about Stafford. Yeah. yeah, no, I actually, I think you're right. I think you're right. Like, I'd much rather bet Rams here and see what happens rather than lean into the Falcons and expect a lot of this hopium to continue to yeah, increase. I would love to hear actually what Joe thinks about this game. He was yeah. high on the Rams and high on the Falcons. Yeah. Now his two bullish right. theses are butting heads. That's right. Yeah, again, I'll stick with my initial take here. I have a feeling I like the Falcons team total. Panthers at the Giants. Panthers plus two and a half. All right, see, now this seems like one I want to take. Yeah. You want to, you think we should bet that one? Yep. I mean, this is going to close three. I think this closed one or pick. I think the Panthers showed me a lot more resilience. against some bonehead penalties near the end is what even allowed for the Browns to kick a 55-yard field goal to win the game with a few seconds remaining. Yeah. Um, and a lot of things had to go to the Giants' way as well yeah, for them to kind of pull that out. I think that was the Titans sell more than once the Giants buy. And also this yes. matchup is terrible for the Giants. This, this plays right into the, the Panthers. But the Giants can't cover it. We'll see if they have any pass rush. We'll see if Kayvon Thibodeau, Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Odelari are back. And like the Giants are not going to be able to move the ball consistently against Carolina. And exactly, no, is exactly the defense where Daniel Jones is going to be prevalent to make more mistakes, right? You can build in like one. This is exactly the defense that taking advantage. Short fields. And the Panthers with Baker Mayfield and those wide receivers, this is something that you think is only going to get kind of better over the course of the season. 
and that this was like a very raw performance and also an emotional performance as well. Now you get, this is behind you, it's done and over with. Now you can move on and move forward without that kind of distraction. Yeah, I like the Panthers here, plus two and a half. So that will be our one of our first bets here on Sunday night. Reduce juice to minus 105. Colts on the road at the Jags, plus four. I really liked the way the Jags performed in the second half. They didn't end up winning the game in typical fashion, what you kind of would think from a young team with a young quarterback. They just didn't have enough no. to get it over the finish line. Yeah. We were highlighting this during the game. A lot of missed opportunities. Drop touchdowns. Yeah. Poor execution. I don't see it moving. I so much it. market love for the Jags, though. I think that's market love for the Colts. I think, if anything, this moves towards the Colts. Really? I'd leave it. So yeah. what do you think this closes? Five Col- and a half? Closer, closer to six than three. I don't see that. I don't know. I'm certainly no Because even the Bulls on the Colts are like, what? If you're not doing any victory laps <laughs> after that performance. One of the things that I was talking about so much in the preseason, and even on our week one preview, is this team is overrated, offensive line overrated, Matt Ryan's overrated, the play calling's overrated, and it just showcased itself beautifully in mm-hmm. that Texans game. Because I wouldn't upgrade the Texans after that game. We talked about, we think that the Texans are better than the four and a half wins that they're projected at anyway. Yeah. I feel like we've been ahead of the curve on a lot of these teams, uh, but the market will be catching up now. They're adjusting their power rankings, but we're really not. Right. Yeah. I also wouldn't bet four here. I would bet the money line power betting. I'm thinking this closes more three, maybe three and a half. I don't think the market's getting ready to solve the Colts. I think you're going to take one more week. Could be right. Commanders at Detroit, Washington plus one and a half. I would think this would be, again, closer to pick. I'm seeing minus two on DraftKings. All right, so the squares are already pounding the Lions. Yeah. I don't know how you can back the Lions here. No, I don't want to bet the Lions as favorites ever this season. I like Washington here. I think Washington should be minus one and a half. Which yeah, I mean, like, not that big of a difference, but yeah. Like you're going to be in for the Carson Wentz ride, but I'll take that over the Lions being favorite. Right, this is almost Jared Goff ride. This guy, no, it's not the same variance. He's not going to throw two bone hanging interceptions and then a 70 yard bone. But the market, I guess, really is pricing Washington as like a five win, 16 PS. Yeah, I think you're right there. And that's yeah. why there could be continued to be opportunity on Washington. Market hates Washington. Yeah, no, I, I like Washington here. I think the defense is the 2020 version is more indicative than the 2021 version of the 2022 team. Yes, yes. And like the Lions are not prepared to take advantage of that. Jets on the road at Cleveland, currently priced plus six reduced juice. Not touching that. I just like. I, think the market's seeing an upgrade in Cleveland's defense. And like the Joe Flacco was terrible. It's terrible. Yeah, I'm surprised this line's not four and a half, but I think that's probably appropriately priced. 
Yeah, I don't want to touch this one. And I got punted a lot of games. I think I want to punt on this one. This is just absolutely. I don't want to be betting the Browns minus a touchdown. Jets are still an NFL team. Jets made the Ravens look pretty crappy. I don't know as much as if it was just more Ravens. Again, Ravens eventually pulled away as any professional organization with certainly viable enough quarterback and great head coaching staff should do. But they hung around with the Jets for way too long. It's also a good segue into the next game, but I think number one, the Ravens are really lacking offensive talent. Right. The central question for the Ravens was, are they trying to run back the 2019 team? Like, how much of that team can they replicate? All of a sudden, like, their offensive lineman, Bryce Stanley's not playing, J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards aren't playing, and we're like, we're back to 2021. This is kind of the same team as last year. And so long as the injuries keep them to the 2021 version of the team, there are massive question marks and holes on offense. I think the note is like, Lamar Jackson didn't run today. For whatever reason, if that... For whatever you know, reason? I'm if, articulating if, why if, that could if, be the case. If, if, if it's his contract, if it's... Whatever it is, if that's going to continue, then that takes away his whole game. What's the Ravens' offense? Which is a perfect segue to say I really like the Dolphins. And again, just to make clear, too, my view on the whole Lamar Jackson contract, performance, dynamic is I don't think that he's not going to run or anything like that. It's more about, I think, he very much is considering, is this in my best interest <laughs> from a longer-term perspective? And it's just all I mean is that will find its way here and there where could be very important moments that build up over the course of a season. Not that he's going to be like, uber conservative every single game not gonna run he's definitely still gonna do that those types of things but the thing is you have to do it very instinctually yeah. for it to work and if you give it any second thought or if you're trying to program yourself to maybe not do it in certain situations or be a little bit less aggressive then it all is on itself and those are just the types of wrinkles that make me hesitant to bet the ravens until i see different and to your point there's nothing in that ravens jets game to suggest that thesis isn't going to continue i do wonder how much of the ravens game plan which is we're playing the jets like they're not going to yeah. score anyway for sure it also stems from an organizational trust the ravens give me the benefit of the doubt they do things the right way generally then it's like i can give them the benefit of the doubt then maybe that week one was like more about the jets like this should not have been a particularly close game and the like, offensive talent's not really there on paper. You bring up a good point, which could actually compound my hypothesis, is if the organization does really respect Lamar Jackson and is investing in him in a way around, in the sense of, we know we're eventually going to come to terms or voice him. And even if not, we want to protect him. We want to protect this asset until we have him locked in the sense of maybe they don't even call as aggressive plays to put him in more vulnerable type positions. And so it's not just a Lamar Jackson dynamic, but also a play calling, a coaching, an organization. Right. Yeah, I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting story. I don't necessarily buy it, 
but I'm willing to be convinced if the next couple of weeks continue to build on your thesis. All right, and if it does, then you have to buy a Joe Flacco jersey. Joe Flacco, I guess. <laughs> Joe Flacco jersey. Okay, I think there's like a few games not on the board here yet, but I think we'll do another stream later in the week. We'll do our War Room stream, get a little bit deeper dive in some of these games. It's a discussion that we'll be having every week that won't be as structured as this type of conversation, but we'll give you insight into how Judah and I, just how we're thinking about building essentially our portfolios, how we're building our bets for the coming week. How do we want to position for the contest? What looks attractive? We'll give you insight into those discussions. So that wraps our first edition of the Sunday Night Tilt. Not a lot of tilt. This Come on, yeah, we can be honest. We say we had a great week. And I want to hold on to it as much as possible because I know right. there's that's right. I know when that Sunday night football music comes on, where it's just Jesus, that was like Can't a blue ringer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are two kinds. There's the tilt, which is like when you actually get things right and it breaks the wrong way. And then there's just oh my god, like we fucked this slate up. Yes, there's definitely different varieties of tilt. Yeah. But I don't know which one's better. I feel like Oh, I should have been able to do that and I just missed it. It's like the kind that actually maybe hurts the worst and it's just, eh, we were just wrong this week. Yeah, that's my, my, my theory is we were just wrong. It's not, not a big deal. And it's like when you're, it's hard enough to get a handicap for a game right. Yes. And when you get it right and it turns out the wrong way, it's like, no, this is an injustice that's been done. Yes. And that's why I think even though we are four and one and had a great week, it just stings. That the Eagles was in our grasp and that we should have went 5-0. and And it was because of the backdoor loss. It's a little bit of tough. It's a little yeah. bit tough. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, Judah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And that's closing down.